Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Today's podcast guest is so, so special. She was introduced to me by a very dear friend of mine that many of you know of, and he was on the podcast in season one, and that is the ever-so-talented Tan May Vora. A lot of you know of him through his sketch notes. So I wanted to give a shout out to him for aligning me and introducing me. And let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. We are traveling across the globe to Hong Kong to meet Soundiri Mukherjee. She is a marketing expert, and she has over two and a half decades of business experience in finance, operations, banking, and entrepreneurship. She gives her insider view on the challenges that organizations and their teams face today, and that is the drive to her passion, which you will see so evidently today when we chat. She loves to work with leaders and teams, and she harnesses their power through their stories. And she uses their stories to elevate business context, to engage, inspire, and influence. And for her, this brings humanity to the workplace. So I think you can already see why I wanted her on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. She is working in Hong Kong, and this has really added to her experience in education and given her a global edge. She is a beautiful person. She's creative. She's energetic. She's a community builder, and she loves collaboration. And her friends call her Sound, and I already feel like I'm her friend. So Sound, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Deb, for such a wonderful introduction. And I'm looking forward to our conversation. It's a great catch up. It's a great catch up. And it's so aligned with the work that you're doing on the other side of the globe in Hong Kong and the message and work that I'm doing in Canada. So I'm just excited to have you here because I know it's late for you. So I appreciate you staying up for me. And I'm going to jump into my leadership questions if you're ready. I am. Okay, so my first question is, you have such an in-depth experience and education with marketing. Share with us the backstory of how that led you to the work that you're doing today with your company. Actually, I'm, I majored in finance all through. So what I do uh, work with today is, in that sense, very different from what I started off. And I was chatting with my uh, sister just a couple of nights back. And as to 50 plus folks tend to do, we were talking about, okay, what's been our career? What's been our journey? And what's it? And you know, something that my sister said about journeys and careers really struck with me. And she drew the analogy to a river. So like, just like how you have rivers, which start from different points, 
they meander, they go different ways. Sometimes they go underground. Sometimes they pass through mountains. Sometimes they pass through plains. They have, they gush fast. They slow down, but they're always in motion. So I think that's what the journey has been, not just marketing. It's been through finance. It's been through brand building, personal brand building, more than marketing in the traditional sense of the word and building communities and connecting with people. So just like, you know, as she was saying it and I, you know, we just looked at each other and said, yes, in our each our own small ways, that's exactly what our journeys have been. And hopefully, as we've meandered, we've left some silt somewhere, we've touched some lives, we've left some footprints, and we've moved on. Well, and I love that you framed it as a journey, because I I think, you know, instead of saying, okay, we're middle-aged, you know, are we having these middle-aged crises or reflections? Is it you know, renewing and kind of taking stock of our midlife wisdom. And I love how you said, you know, we have our mountains, we have our valleys. And I think when we talk more about our failures and that vulnerability within heart-centered leadership that we all have, I always call that the sweet spot because as long as you learn from it and move on, that's the joy in the journey, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for me, the you can call it balance, you can call it inter- integration, whatever the wordsmithing is around it. I think it's the ability for me to manage all my roles and my passion for the work that I do, trying to keep that growth mindset, trying to keep that learning agility, which is really keeps me going. Well, it's I join you in that space and I, I couldn't agree more. And it leads me nicely into my second question, which has permanent residency on the show. What imperfections do you bring to your heart-centered leadership? I think, uh, you know, in my initial uh, years of career, I have been called a benevolent dictator. (laughs) I've tried to work more on being the benevolent soul from then on once I heard that. And um, last year, did this course on positive intelligence and some of the words again that seem to throw up are about hyperachiever, being rational, being restless. I thought a lot about it and I do work with a lot of uh, girls, helping them with their careers and also with startups. And I love the Japanese way of looking at it. And I think this is a wonderful word that they've left in the vocabulary, which is around wabi-sabi which is how do you find beauty in every aspect of the perfection that is there? And I do pottery, um, which I think lends some bit of creative leg to my otherwise uh, working with the teams and organizations. And earlier, I used to think, you know, it's all mission made pottery and mass created ceramics, which look really nice. And then I thought, you know, handmade pottery cannot be looking like that. And then that's imperfect. But once you understand and embrace that sense of aesthetics, which is there, the fingerprints that you leave on your work, which gives its unique look, that has learned, really helped me learn to embrace the imperfections in everything and let go of that perfectionist mindset. We are all imperfect. We are all work in progress and it's fine. And I tell this to the girls, you know, we always have a tendency to work on the weaknesses. But why don't we look at accelerating our strengths? 
and going forward with that. So yes, imperfect me uh, to <laughs> to add to your podcast title, but happily embracing that. And I think the only caveat I would leave with it is as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, work on, you know, just, just embrace yourself. That's That was so beautifully answered. And I was hoping you were going to pull in the metaphor of your hobby of pottery, because I'm probably not going to pronunciate this properly. So please correct me. But the pottery, there's, there's an art, a Japanese art. Is it kintsuki? where you repair something with gold. And I was hoping you were going to beautifully weave that into your answer because that is where the gold is. That is the magic. That is that sweet spot that we just talked about when I asked you the first leadership question. And and it's in the inlay of the gold and the repair and the pulling back together to be whole again. That is really where I think we do our best work as heart-centered leaders. Like they say, the music is in between the notes. And I'm tone deaf, but I know that much. <laughs> the, and, and I think it's uh, really also lends itself to the work around cultural challenges. Uh, one of the works that I do with the organizations on, you know, how do you uh, look at when you're working at a diversity and inclusion issue, when you're looking at some of these complex issues, how do you bring in the element of vulnerability, sharing your stories and in a way that your role modeling behavior, uh, which is possibly a way to go forward, but also role modeling behavior, which accepts you for who you are. I, I love Annette Simmons, who has written this book, Story Factor, one of the original, you know, pioneers in that field. And I absolutely adore her work. And she talks about one of the times when she was facilitating a group of people at the Pentagon, uh, mostly men. And there was a two-star general in the room who was so full of himself. And at one point, he leans towards a female lieutenant colonel and he yells at her, why don't you just grow up? And she just calmly leans forward and says, I don't want to be disrespectful, sir, but could you be more specific? And that just throws him out of gear. And probably this is one of those, you know, oh, the answers I wish I had said when I was faced with a similar situation kind of thing. But knowing that such things happen and sharing those are a great way to say, okay, there is another way to respond to aggression. We can be tearful and anger, which is all legitimate responses, but we can also just set boundaries and limits and learn from some of this. Well, and what I love about that is we've all sat in meetings or conferences where we've wanted to say something and then we've allowed the imposter syndrome or the fear to creep in. And what a great example why not just allow yourself that vulnerability? Because sometimes I think the spoken word as humans and our verbal expression, at least in Canada, we use that cliche where our bark's worse than our bite. We can say things and the tone and our body language and all those other nonverbal cues that accompany it can come across the wrong way. So what a great example to, you know, reapproach a response to something, especially if it's been given to you in an assertive or an aggressive way. 
I, I love what you said about the imposter syndrome. And I think if I, you know, I, I come across maybe as a confident person normally with anybody else who knows me for a long time. But there's that mind voice that occasionally plays. And a few months back, I was called to be on a panel uh, talking about trust and business storytelling. And the folks, the other folks in the panel were like very senior corporate folks, people who were like working with a large university who had done years and decades of research. And when I was first asked, there was that moment, one moment when I said, am I sure they've got the right person? Do I need to check in? Maybe they've got somebody else. And I think just going in and we had a lot of pre-panel discussions and meetings, how comfortable they made me feel and how easy it was to just jump in into what you were trying to convey to the audience, put the audience first and talk, really made me realize about two things. One, how are we going to create those kind of environments for people? to just bring their whole self there. And we use this word, you know, we talk about whole selves to work and all that. But this was just what it was for me, you know, how that space was created for me to feel comfortable, bring my best self, talk and be there. And I think that's the kind of space we need to create and have a lot of friends with whom we can chat. Uh, who will like really hold your back for you and who'll hold, you know, who'll bat for you. That really helps. And I don't want to stereotype and say it's for women, but it's for everybody. I was just hearing the Twitch founder talking about how he went through imposter syndrome. And, you know, if he can, it's normal. Well, and thank you for sharing such a vulnerable moment because I've been asked to speak at different conferences and panels and I, I join you. I'm thinking, why are they picking me? And, you know, we get the courage to ask that in such a way where people say, of course, we want you look at your story and your experience. I, I record solo episodes now at the end of the month on the podcast. And it gives me great anxiety every month because I think, what else can I say? And then I think back to whatever we say or do is wrapped around who we are and how we've become who we are. So it's really fun because you have not been given the questions to this interview. And, and what we're talking about is, is going to flow nicely into my third leadership question for you. Share with us your heart, and why you feel stories are so important, not only in our business life and who we are, whether we're entrepreneurs, executives, leaders, but also our personal life and how, how they intersect uh, to really bring what you do so beautifully in your business. You know, one of the, I read this on uh, Twitter. So there was this, there's this lady, Cheryl Neasel, and I'm probably messing up her name, but uh, she talked about how are you releasing what is genuine in you so that the world can benefit from its embrace. And I think we go through these moments uh, wondering, you know, oh, I need to share and what do I have to say and who's going to listen. And I thought it was a great reframe for saying you're serving the world. I think this is something that gives us a courage to go on and say what we have to share. And to your thing about the recap at the end of the podcast, it benefits somebody. So just 
you know, pick up that courage to go and share it. And about the storytelling piece, you know, it's not just about storytelling. Nobody wants to be a better storyteller unless you're going to be, you know, J.K. Rowling or somebody else like that. In a leadership, in a business context, you want to be effective. And stories are a great way to communicate, to uh, use it as a tool to achieve better business results. You're a coach, uh, Deb. So as facilitators and coaches, we're always saying, how do you read the temperature in the room? How are we changing it to really help others amplify their presence? And I'm remembering one particular incident. This is was shared by in the context of future of work by this person, Raghu Krishnamurti, who's ex-CHRO at GE. He talks about a person who was on the autistic spectrum, who was at the workplace. And the person was really struggling to pick up the cues on video calls when his organization started working from home. And one or two weeks, he was interrupting people when he shouldn't be interrupting. He was silent when he needed to speak. So he was missing all the cues. And that's when his manager really listened with her eyes. You know, it doesn't matter if you're on Zoom or on Google Meet or whatever, you can still see the person, right? She called him up offline and she said, what's wrong? Help me understand. You don't seem to be where you should be. And is there something I can do to help you? And he was so grateful for the conversation. He told her that he was on the autism spectrum, though it's not very obvious. And he was struggling to pick up these cues. And his manager said, no problem, I'll figure out a solution. And over the next couple of meetings, she instituted a new protocol saying every time somebody wanted to interrupt, they had to hold up a pink slip. Or if somebody finished talking, they had to say, Roger, just like how you do in a walkie-talkie kind of a thing. And people found it strange in the beginning. But she explained that one of the colleagues is finding it difficult to follow. So how are we instituting some rules so that no person is left behind? So really, as managers, we have the responsibility to listen with our eyes, to provide what is called the emotional first aid when it's required. And it's not normal that people do it. So again, link it up to coach. How are you reading the temperature in the room? How can you help others amplify? And I think sharing some of these stories instead of saying, oh, yeah, you need to read the temperature in the room. You need to do this. You need to do this and sermonizing. I think it drives home the point. I'll tell you what I love about that story is attentive listening is a heart-centered leadership quality. It's probably the number one that the C-suite leaders that I work with across the globe try and hone and be better at each day. And I've asked them on several Zoom calls to go off video and close their eyes to really listen. And it's such a different modality to incorporate into your toolkit, to pull out of your arsenal, if you will. And when we watch with our eyes to really listen, we pick up so much more. And I love the innovation and the creativity. And it was unusual to integrate in that specific situation. But how fun that she did it so eloquently that no one was singled out. And it was a problem or for that particular gentleman, a level of uncomfort that was easily remedied. 
And it really is that easy if people pay more attention and listen and watch. That's a great example. Thank you for sharing that with us. No, thank you. You are so, I like what you highlighted about the fact that it's without saying who the person is or putting that person in a spot, making it so easy for them. And, you know, um, I'm I'm from a culture where we have a lot of conversation overlays. We speak over each other. And this is something I am definitely trying to work harder on to listen better. I have a response constructed in my mind or it's coming like typically as they say about listening, but I am definitely working harder on that now. I think everybody listening to the podcast can say that listening to be present and not worrying about formulating a response. Most times when somebody's conveying or sharing or really giving of their heart and it's emotional, they're not looking for feedback. They're just looking for validation. And that that comes so beautifully when it's offered in a nonverbal way. So powerful. Okay, my last question is, I do believe when we first chatted, you told me you grew up in India. Am I correct in saying that? Absolutely. Share with us, because I think this is such a great question for you. What transferable skills do you feel you've brought to your leadership today and the role that you're doing in your business from another country, from growing up in another country to settling in Hong Kong. I know there's some wisdom and nuggets that you've transferred. So tell us what comes from from top of mind when I ask you that question. It is going to be a top of the mind answer because I haven't thought about it. I think it's 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 really about embracing serendipity and letting things flow, going with the flow, if you want to say, but really letting things flow. And I think I haven't done as much of it before as I did once I started moving around, uh, being in the moment, grabbing at some of the opportunities which have come my way. I think that's that's really the uh, skill. You go into a new place, everything is new. You know, when I moved to uh, Bahrain in the Middle East, I had no clue what Bahrain was. I had to look it up in the map where it was. We knew about Dubai, but we didn't know about Bahrain. So I had to like really see where is this? Oh, it's that tiny dot there. And what do you do there? I have no clue. And a lot of the times, you know, as against uh, some other times, we didn't have time to go and do a look-see of the place and decide. We just jumped in and we moved there. So then you're like in a new place, you're thrown in a new environment. You just embrace it as it is. So I think it's also one of those things of you go to a place with a plan, but you also become agile and adapt to whatever comes your way. And I remember reading this. Uh, there's this lady, Miku Hirano, who is the co-founder and CEO of Cinnamon. She talks about, you know, we think we fixate our dreams with our current mind and the ability. And that limits ourselves. So I'm paraphrasing what she said. So we need to continuously update our dreams. As I grow, as I evolve, as I learn, so do my dreams. And literally looking at that for work. So in Bahrain, when I moved in, I had decided to take a break from work. 
and this was the part of the time when the river went underground it was a sabbatical <laughs> and i think coming out and figuring out and i found this friend of mine he was a basel 2 trainer he was looking for contacts in bahrain he was working out of saudi and i said yeah okay i'm willing to give it a shot i have no clue what you do uh, other than my banking experience but please tell me how i can facilitate this so we created some business development role which suited me for that time in life i have to be honest about that and say that it worked out for me because i needed flexibility with a new place and a new life but at the same time it kept me relevant and interested so sometimes it's what the market is asking what are you seeking for and what are the opportunities which are presenting your way and that i think has stayed with me as i've moved looked at hong kong very vibrant great environment again you know how do you reinvent yourself as you go to every place so keeping that curiosity going having the growth mindset exploring options really looking at how can i bring my best self to others while encouraging others to really bring their best selves out which is what we do through storytelling now absolutely and where i align with you is my dad was an entrepreneur so we moved every 2 years until high school you never felt like you settled you would just get into a community feel like you're part of a community get some friends get going with some sports teams just feeling like you were an integral part of a new community so i resonate so much with you on that because I didn't feel that until I landed in high school and actually I'm still in the same city and it's the longest I've lived and I've been here 40 years, 41 years now and having the fluency of starting at a school but also finishing at a pivotal time and you just feel displaced until you can find your groove and and where you fit and depending on what age that is for me it was a formidable age but it's difficult and i love that you just went with the intent of okay well i can do this and this is what i you know i'm bringing to the table in terms of transferable skills let's give it a go i think a lot of leaders have ad have adapted to that especially during covid because they have proceeded to lead with heart not knowing what was forthcoming and i still feel i mean we're recording this in september of 2021 i still feel that we're we're in that same boat if you will but i love the ease of transition that you just allowed yourself to be that's so powerful thank you so much i mean again this is a lot of reading and the quotes which connect to you kind of thing right uh So the CEO of YouTube Susan and I can't get her surname right but we'll call her Susan now. Uh she talks about rarely your opportunities presented to you in a perfect way. They're not in a nice little box with a yellow bow on the top. Here open it. It's perfect. You'll love it. Opportunities the good ones are very messy. They're confusing. They're hard to recognize. They're risky and they challenge you. So it this definitely you have to calm your you know heart beating heart you put a hand on your heart and say calm down quieten down the heart but let's go with it and i think uh, especially for an entrepreneur when you're starting a business and i've done this i've had so many people saying no to some of the things that we've suggested or proposals and you know for sponsorships and things like that 
So if they say, oh, we can't do it, instead of saying, okay, thank you and going away, saying, okay, what is it that you can do? Just asking that one extra question, putting the ball back in their court to use a tennis thing. Uh, I think that's that's also very powerful for women especially to do, to push the boundaries. There's There's such beauty in obstacles because you can see them as an obstacle, a barrier, or just embrace the opportunity. And that's a powerful metaphor for sure. Okay, I'm going to switch to what I call my fab four. I'm going to ask you four rapid questions. And we just want to know what's on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. Okay, first question. Tell us something that we don't know about you. Two things, actually. One that I'm tone deaf. <laughs> which, and uh, the other one is, of, of course, about the imposter syndrome, which occasionally kicks in. People see me as a confident person, but that's occasionally there and I'm learning to deal with it. Okay. Second question. I know pottery is one of your special activities to do. And I think it's fair for me to say that it's become a self-care element for you. Tell us why you chose pottery. You know, I always wanted to do pottery and that was just by seeing people on the roadside in India, people would be churning out these pots and it was looking so therapeutic even to a young mind. But I think really getting the hands in clay, as I say, has shaped my thinking to how can you really be, explore things? How can you embrace the imperfections which are there? How can you look at experimenting and, you know, Margaret, uh, Margaret Heffernan, who's a media executive, she talks about it in Uncharted, um, her book, which is in my reading list. And she talks about think like an artist. And that's, I think, a great thing to tell leaders and teams. How do you explore? How do you experiment? How can you stay optimistic as you go along? And that's what pottery has given me. It's given me a window to my soul to look at some of these things. That's beautiful. I loved how you said it shapes your thinking. I, I knew you were going to tie that into your leadership. That's beautiful. Okay. Now you had mentioned two things. One of your favorite books was Story Factor, and you've just told me you have a reading list. So my third question is, what is a favorite book that you're reading right now, or maybe that you have already read that you haven't mentioned? And tell us why, what did it what impression did it leave on your heart or how did it move you? Yeah, so a couple of books that I'm reading in parallel. Uh, one is Data Detective by Tim Harford. We are working with uh, some clients on data storytelling and how do you really uh, go beyond the data and look at getting a narrative. So you're not just an analyst sitting there who can only explain data you're able to explore and you're able to also inspire people into action. And so that's something that's really calling out to me. I'm just reading it. I have it on my Kindle. Uh, I wanted a book, but sometimes, you know, there's no space. <laughs> so you get a Kindle edition. And um, the other book, which I reread recently for my book club is Nine Lives uh, by William Darrymple. And it, it is about journeys and individual stories of people in India. But what really stood out for me, and this I found out only when I reread it, I had read it many years back. And, you know, again, 
we pick up new insights from old books. So that's why they are best friends. So there's a part there where there's a Harvard uh, person by the name of Milman Parry, who used to be called the Darwin of, uh, you know, oral literature. He decides to go and explore. He catches a ship in the 1930s to go to Yugoslavia. And he decides to go and find out, you know, all these great books, Homer's work and European literature, it must have been based on oral poems. So let me go and find out where are the, where is the oral history? And he goes and finds that it's actually with a lot of these old singers. He finds this peasant farmer, Avdo Medidovich, uh, his name. And he's about 60, 65. And then he asks him, okay, how do you remember so much? He's the poet is able to quote 15,000, 16,000 lines of oral literature. And he says, how do you remember so much? Um, so I, are you know, do you know to read and write? And he says, no, I don't. And that was such a revelation because we put so much importance to education as we know it. And I'm tying into the information overload that we are having. And how do you make your messaging memorable? You need to cut through all the noise of that information overload that's there. Uh, more the information, lesser the memory seems to be the trip. So I think stories in that sense are a great way to make your message as a leader memorable, retellable and impactful. Absolutely. And it's so interesting to me when you talk about the data book that you're reading. I, I've interviewed some powerful global leaders in the AI sector. And at the end of the day, we need data for everything. But you will never find a robot with a charming personality because your data is always going to come from people. So it's almost like a full circle moment for you, which is really beautiful. Okay, my last question, I want you to finish this sentence. Heart-centered leadership is? It's the power of human interaction. When we look at, you know, moving towards digital transformation and everything else, how do we stay human and uh, this is another book which is on the reading list, which is Scott Hartley's The Fussy and the Techie. And he says in that if the machines are getting better, and they will, humans must become better versions of themselves. So being a techie, and this I make a distinction from being technologically enabled, we all are and we need to be. But being a techie is not an antidote to redundancy in today's economy. Being more human is. So let's be more human while we get digital. And what I love about that question is I've never had the same answer. That's that's the beauty of the imperfect heart-centered leadership podcast is we all have our own interpretation and definition, and I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you for staying up late in Hong Kong to talk to me today. It's been such a joy. Absolute pleasure, Deb. And I look forward to hearing your other podcasts as well. Uh, to learn more from the other uh, leaders who are there. Like you said, the answers are different. And I'm a very black and white person. What you see is what you get kind of thing. But I've learned and understood that there are different shades. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the blessing of COVID is we are now a, a borderless global society where we all can connect and link arms and help each other. And like you said earlier in your interview, 
there's always more than one way to approach something. So thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your heart. Thank you, Deb. You've been listening to the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.